DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller's Subaru. Time to talk college football right now. David Nixon stopping by for his weekly visit. BYU TV football analyst, former Cougar linebacker. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Hey, what's going on, guys? Trying to make sense of a game that uh, normally I would have ignored and doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe you can help. Listen, it's game week. Let's go. Okay, uh, so... You, as, as of today, as of Wednesday, BYU is going to play this week. Uh, something can change. <laughs> Definitely in the meantime, hopefully not. But uh, it's game week, so I'm pumped. I don't care who they're playing. It's game week. So it's Troy, and Troy smoked Middle Tennessee State. The Middle Tennessee State also got smoked by Army, 42 to nothing. So they're giving up like 45 points a game, so I don't know what to make of that. Navy looked better in their second game, although not until halftime. They got behind 24 to nothing and then rallied to win. So I assume BYU is going to be able to control the line of scrimmage against Troy. Have you seen anything in these games that would enable you to figure that out and give me a definitive answer on whether I'm right or wrong? Yeah, listen, this is what you do when you play teams like Troy and, and non-P5s and frankly not even G5s, really. Uh, you, you tend to have the advantage there in the trenches, right? Offensive line, defensive line, they, they should be able to push uh, those teams around. Where BYU kind of, it's, it's a little bit of a mismatch against a team like Troy. Troy's got athletes all over the field. I mean, you look at the wide receiver position, the DB position. Um, a lot of these guys are guys that couldn't qualify for the Auburns and Alabamas and things like that, so they had to settle with going to kind of a smaller college uh, that has easier uh, acceptance, uh, acceptance rates. And so that's where I think BYU sometimes struggles with these type of teams because they've got team speed. Uh, they don't necessarily have team size, uh, like I said, down the trenches. But um, it'll, it'll be interesting. And this is what Troy likes to do. If you watch the film, you watch the LTC State game, they love to air it out. They like, like to go five wides, four wides, and, uh, and air it out and try to test you. So – um, BYU better be up to the task. I mean, it's, it's a completely different game plan than what BYU saw against Navy as far as defensively. Uh, BYU opted to go with a 3-4 defense and shut down the triple option. Now you got to shift back to your base defense, which BYU is going to that 4-2-5 this year, play more DBs and get ready to have a lot more nickel and uh, be able to, to defend against the kind of air raid, if you will. So, um, yeah, very interesting matchup. And I think this will show a lot of fans where BYU is at because this is a team that, you know, they've, they've had some upsets in their past against um, FBS teams, and so uh, BYU's got to be prepared because it's one of those teams that can come up and sneak up on you. Yeah, you know, when you score 55 points and you're not doing it in any fluke manner, I don't think of looking back, I don't know that there was any special team scores or defensive scores. It was basically the offense just shoving the ball down Navy's throat. That's going to get a lot of the attention. But on the same flip side, if you're only giving up three, that's impressive, too. But it didn't seem like BYU's defense was the story of the game. It was more about the offense and up front and how they had the running backs averaging, uh, what, 15, 16, 17 yards between the top two. So I wanted to focus on defense. Now, um, for the life of me, David, if you would have told me that I spent a Saturday watching Troy football on television, I would have told you you were nuts. But nevertheless, that's what I did because I don't didn't know a whole lot about Troy, and I wanted to get educated, so the game was on television and we don't have a big uh, plethora of games to choose from. Obviously, we didn't last week. So I came away thinking this team, 
offensively doesn't seem that bad and will be able to give BYU more of a test. So I'm really intrigued to just see how good is this BYU defense. Do you have any insight in terms of how good they really are? Well, I'll say this. Uh, you know, when you talk about the defense specifically, this linebacker core, I may mention this last week, I think this is the best linebacker core BYU's had in, in probably a decade, frankly. I think here and there BYU's had uh, standout linebackers like Calvin Noy and Fred Warner, guys who really pop. But as a collective unit, uh, this linebacker core, it's, it's solid top to bottom. And, and the, the thing is, because of injuries last year that BYU had uh, with the linebacking unit, then you had a lot of young guys, Max Tooley, Peyton Wilgar, starting as freshmen that got a lot of game reps. And so now those guys came back off injury, and now you've got this whole linebacker room that's got awesome experience and, and it's uh, got guys that play in games. And so that's where th- this, this linebacker unit specifically is, is very experienced and, and very impressive. Now you go to the secondary in the same type of deal. You had Zane Anderson, who was out last year, Troy Warner, who was out last year. Next thing you know, you bring them back in along with the young guys that had to play uh, because they were out, and that has experience as well. And so this, this defensive unit, I, I think they're the real deal. And, and I, I honestly think this is one of the best defenses Connie has had, and so it's kind of unfortunate that it hits during the year of COVID when you can't really you know, show and demonstrate how good your team is. Uh, but, I, I, you know, this week will be a great test. Like I said, Troy's going to try and air it out more, so they'll definitely test the secondary and the linebackers, and we'll see if they're up to the test. But, like I said, completely different type of game plans, and it'll be interesting to see, yeah, is BYU the real deal? I think everyone's still asking themselves that, right? You, you, you thought maybe, uh, but, you know, can they, really, uh, can they really go put together back-to-back impressive performances? We'll see. Former Cougar linebacker David Nixon join us, BYU TV football analyst. So I'm curious if all this uh, athletic ability you're talking about, does it leave you worried about special teams? Do you expect big plays there? You know, yeah, obviously these type of teams have great return, you know, punt returners and, and kickoff returners. I, it doesn't worry me too much. BYU prides themselves in special teams. Ed Lamb does a great job of coaching those guys up. Um, and, you know, I, I think they're fine in that aspect of the game. Uh, you know, BYU didn't have a lot of chances to punt in the last game. We know that, uh, that you know, our BYU special teams is, is pretty solid in that arena. So, uh, Jake Olroy did kicker and, and, uh, and things like that. So, I think we're excited to see more of a standard game, probably a little more back and forth versus just the BYU offense being on the field the whole game and defense shut them out, you know, three and out every time. So, um, I, I think it should be a good game. I think BYU still wins this one by double digits. Uh, but but I think it'll be more of a test than we saw uh, against Navy. So you speak of those linebackers. It reminds me of a conversation I had long, long time ago. Elaine Michaelis, who was a legend at BYU Volleyball, she coached like 40 years, and she told me, I said, you know, what we're talking about success of, of your program, and they, they've had a really good program for a number of years. And she said, well, obviously it's the talent. And she said uh, that in the LDS culture, for whatever reason, we produce pretty doggone good women's volleyball players. So, so we should always be good. Uh, there might be some other sports where it's a little more difficult, uh, but in volleyball, we, we've got an assembly line of talent. And now I'm starting to think that if you go back 
over what, last 15, 20 years, you could say the same thing about linebacking core. You included. You were a stud when you played. The biggest tackle in Bronkelman in all history down there at uh, TCU. You turned around that program with that sack. I'll never forget that. I was there, uh, and you guys went on to win that game, and I think that was a turning point in Broncos' program. What is it about the linebacking core at BYU? Because it seems like just about every year you got studs. Yeah, I mean, it's uh... – I know while while we were there and kind of shortly thereafter, we we like to say we're linebacker U because it seemed yeah. to be that was the strongest unit on the defense for for years, and it's kind of manifesting itself now. I I don't know if you can put your finger on one thing. I will say this: it has been interesting. I think when Kalani came to BYU, everyone thought that he'd be able to go out and recruit uh, the big Polynesian defensive lineman, and and BYU would have the same type of defensive lineman uh, or defensive line that Utah has had in years past, but. That really hasn't been the case. Uh, you know, look at BYU's defense line. Even this year, it's spread pretty thin. You've got some good stars in Lorenzo Fautea and Kyrus Tonga. Uh, but it just hasn't been the case where that's been the strongest unit on the defense. I think it continues to be that linebacker core. And I think Kalani and, and Elisa Tuiaki realize that, and that's what they're going out, and that's who they're trying to recruit right now are, are fast, strong backers. Um, but you also look at it. You know, the, the game's changing, and, and we talked about this. Uh, I was actually talking to Taysom about this with even the pro level. Uh, Chase Hansen, you know, made, made the Saints squad, um, at least as of a couple weeks ago. And, and same type of deal. He's a smaller, undersized backer, uh, but it's all changing to his pure speed. And, and guys can get out and run and cover. And you've seen that with BYU. You've got, you've got uh, Isaiah Kapusi who can get out there and cover. You've got Max Tooley. Um, and you know, Payne Wilgar's a little bigger, but you've got to have guys that can that can also come up and force to run, but that can drop into coverage, and, and that's what BYU's gone with, and, and kind of pride themselves off of. And frankly, that's kind of how it was in my day with myself and Keel, um, and of course Kyle Vanoy and Fred and, and all those guys. So it, it is interesting to watch it kind of come to uh, come to fruition with with the whole linebacker unit, but. Uh, it's it's uh, you know it's, it's fun to watch and frankly I think this year the, once again the linebacker unit kind of leads that whole defensive room. So another position group that BYU was good at for a long time they were good at it until they weren't but now they're good at it again is offensive line. Do you see among the young guys a chance that as these guys go off to the NFL you know probably sooner or not later? Do you think they're going to be able to sustain what we've seen on the offensive line? You know, they're, they've got something special going on in that room. I mean, uh, and this might be, I mean, it's no no secret. This might be the best off of the line unit they've had there in decades, you know, in 10, 20 years as well. I mean, as a collective unit. Uh, once again, in, in the past years, you've had big guys, uh, big names there on off the line. But uh, you, you look at Brady Christensen, you look at Impey, uh, Hodge. I mean, this, this this whole off of the line is just impressive. And, and not only that, but you've got depth. To come for years as well, and and, and to your point, these are kids. Brady Christian, uh, MP, these guys were having to start as freshmen and sophomores because the cover was kind of bare, to be honest. Uh, but now that they're upperclassmen, uh, they're going out there and, and balling out. But then what that allows is it allows the freshmen and sophomores that are incoming, and, and that, that allows them to kind of grow up in the program, and you don't have to be thrust into starting immediately and go through those growing pains. And so that's when you know you have a solid program is when, I mean, if, if you're starting two or three freshmen, that's not a great sign of, of where you're at with your, your position group, right? Uh, you want to be starting all juniors and seniors. You want those freshmen and sophomores to get some time and kind of garbage time, if you will. Uh, but then you want them to kind of grow and develop. And then when they're upper class in the last couple of years, they start. 
Uh, and so BYU is at a point where they had to start freshman sophomores, but now uh, they're growing that talent and, and coach them up. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that up at the line room continues just to replenish what they've got going uh, because they've got something special going there. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch. I mean, when you go back and watch that Navy game, it was just, once again, I don't know if it was because Navy wasn't tackling and things like that. We've heard those excuses, but uh, you know, tackling during fall camp, but it was just complete dominance. I mean, off the BYU's off the line were five, six yards down the field uh, before they even touched somebody because there was such a surge and such a push from, from that, that off the line. So, uh, they'll get a test this week with Troy. I, I, Troy's not going to lay down like like Navy did, um, and so I'm interested to see if they continue to push. But when you when you've got and, and uh, um, PK you alluded to it earlier, when you've got two backs, Tyler Algier averaged nine yards per carry, and Lapini Cattell averaged eight yards per carry. And so when you got two backs in that in that type of range, you know that it's more up to the offensive line that's creating that surge than really the backs themselves. So this is something you did approximately 25 times in college. And what I'm speaking of is home games. And you came down that ramp, and the stadium was electric, and it's just a great moment. I think that uh, it's having been in NFL and been in many, many college stadiums over the years, I think it's more special in college to come down. In your case, it's literally coming down a ramp, and you're running out on that sideline, Crowds going nuts, uh, and it just must be just a, just a full of adrenaline. You're not going to have that now because there's going to be nobody there. It's going to be crazy. How different do you think it's going to be? It sucks. It absolutely sucks. I mean, listen, in football, it's pure entertainment, right? You're you're in the you're in the entertainment uh, world, and and you're trying to go out there and, and perform for your family, for your friends, your classmates, uh, for all the fans, and you know, to have the hope that you'd be able to play in front of only 6,000, which is a lot, but it's still something, to all of a sudden get that taken away yesterday, um, it's, it, it sucks. And, uh, you know, for BYU, the good thing is that they've already done this against Navy, right? Navy didn't have any fans, so it's not going to be something new per se. But it is a little bit of adjustment because I think they all thought that they would obviously be playing in front of 6,000 fans and, and to reverse course is, is tough. Uh, you saw Lorenzo Fautea's uh, tweet yesterday uh, mentioning that it, it sucks because he wants to play in front of his mom and his dad, right? And I get it. I totally get it. And and as you allude to, PK, uh, um, playing at home is, is special, especially at Lavelle Stadium. I mean, during our years, we're selling out that stadium and 64,000 people screaming and yelling. I mean, it was it was awesome. And and to not have that opportunity, especially for some of these guys that are seniors, it's a, it's a huge bummer. So hopefully they can – you know, can get stuff under control and, and go back to, I guess, yellow it is that would allow fans to get back in there. But um, meantime, the next two games, it's, it's, it's a bummer. Because that's, you know, the thing with football, too, is football, you only get six home games. This year might be different. We'll see what Tom Hummel puts together. But as of now, you get six home games, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's not like basketball where you have, you know, what, 15, 20? Um, yeah. You only have so many home games, and, and, and like you said, throughout your whole career, you only have call it twenty four. Uh, each one special, and if not to have fans, is man, it's a huge blow. It's unfortunate. So the team has to create their own energy and excitement. So are you working with uh, Kalani, scripting some dance moves, giving them all your expertise? <laughs> yeah. Listen, if you watch Kalani on the sideline, I don't think they need much help in trying to get their own energy going. I think Kalani's uh, got it figured out from that Navy game. Uh, but listen. The, the team energy happens through the play on the field, right? I mean, I think that the, the BYU was able to sustain that energy throughout the game because they're absolutely dominating. 
Um, the question is, can you sustain some energy when things go bad? When you do throw an interception, there's a turnover, uh, or you've got some three and outs, and, and your defense is sucking wind, or whatever it may be, who's going to step up on the team to create that energy? Uh, and, and a lot of that, like I said, comes through turnovers or making big plays. And so knowing that, uh, playing at home, you got to come ready, prepared that somebody's got to step up and be that guy to, to create that energy because, uh, man, it's, it's, I, I, I've never played in an empty stadium, so I, I don't know what it feels like, but I got to imagine it's very tough and, and, uh, it's just a, it's just a, it's got to be a weird feeling. Of course, we played in scrimmages, but heck, even scrimmages, you know, we'd have fans there for, for during, uh, spring ball, you know, so it's just going to be a, it's going to be a weird deal. I'll actually be there at the stadium. Uh, with the BYU TV crew, we'll do our pre and post game show there, and so uh, I'm interested to really see how what the environment's like. I mean, in the Navy game, you guys recall, you could hear all the checks, the players could hear themselves um, out there, and you could hear even coaches yelling. It was just just a kind of a weird, eerie type feel. But uh, I mean, that's the world we live in right now with COVID. So you'll be broadcasting like normal for for BYU television, doing what you do, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. So we have our set down there in the southwest corner of the end zone. Um, And and so we'll broadcast the pre- and post-game show. And then we're still trying to figure out where we go sit during the game, if we're allowed to go sit in the stands because nobody's there or whether we're going to be quarantined to a a certain section. They're trying to figure all that out right now, given the current news. So So uh, here's what I want then. When BYU scores, I want you to grab the Y flag and run around the field. Yeah, I've been talking to Cosmo. Well, we're gonna figure out. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll relieve him. I'll relieve him on the uh, north end zone. I'll, I'll run the I'll run the whole way south. How about that? So yeah, poor K. Hey, we haven't talked about Cosmo. Poor Cosmo. I mean, he's just gonna be running around there by himself, doing the doing the way to himself. I mean, yeah. Think about Cosmo and this whole thing too. That guy. That guy's waited his whole life to go out there and doing backflips all over the field. There's no. There's gonna be nobody there to watch him. I mean, that's unfortunate. Well, that's why too. you're you're gonna be there. This is your chance, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. A little too old for a uh, backflip, I think. Hey, Cosmo just needs a TV timeout to go nuts at the 20-yard line, and then that's YouTube, that's social media, Cosmo for the win. <laughs> Get some solo dance uh, routines out there by himself. No congrats, just, just Cosmo on the 50. I like it. Is it handsprings, backflips, somersaults? It'd just be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. David, we appreciate you stopping by. Enjoy the game. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Awesome. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. More football to come. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, with all kinds of takes on high school football quarterbacks in Utah, where they can go and what they can do. I talked with him a little bit about this uh, during the week. We're going to get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I think if you'd listened to Hans long enough, you had hinted that there was a star player that had dealt with COVID over the summer, and Zach Wilson admitted that uh, he indeed contracted it a few months ago. Yeah, you know, it's hard. I think I got it from, we had a bunch of the football guys over, and we were just having a little gambling night, you know, having some fun, and, you know, somehow a bunch of us got it. And already people are wondering about what's going on at gambling night. Hey, look, it's Skittles, a little bit of poker. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. Calm down. Everybody's doing it. Get the orange Skittles, get the green, yeah. the purple Skittles. Assign dollar amounts to each. No money's exchanging hands. Oh, no, just COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks is home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. All right, Riley Jensen scheduled to join us here in a couple minutes. We just had David Nixon on to talk a little college football. David Nixon, say anything that made you think that BYU uh, shouldn't be a 15-point favorite over Troy? No, I don't think so. But I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park either. I think, you know, Troy is an upstart program. These guys get an exposure that they normally wouldn't get. And they're coming out to an area of the country that they normally wouldn't uh, experience. That's what's cool about it. These young fellas, you wonder how many of these guys have been out west and actually been in our communities here, probably not very often, if at all. And you come out there and you you just look at these mountains and if you haven't experienced it, they're very, very impressive. So the point being, that's going to increase their excitement to play the game. So I think BYU is going to have to match that energy. I don't think they're going to roll over, but certainly I think they're going to win. And you got them playing at elevation and you're at home, so you ought to be able to wear them down over the course of the game, you would think, if you can keep that defense on the field and put some, put some drives together. All right, time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen, joins us now on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Riley, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. What's going on? Uh, we just talked a little uh, BYU football with David Nixon, and he was talking about uh, BYU's advantage in the line, but the fact that Troy's got a lot of athletes at the skill positions, and they got speed, and they can make big plays. Uh, depending on where you look, BYU's favored by 14 or 15 points. Do you see the game the way David Nixon does and the way the Vegas uh, gamblers seem to? Yeah, it, it feels like to me that that's about right. I do, I do think that if you're a BYU fan and you're watching this game on TV, you're going to be frustrated a, a few times during the game with the athleticism of Troy. There are there are always some skill positions and and maybe one or two guys on the offensive or defensive line that are that are super athletic. They don't have the depth of BYU. They don't have the overall athleticism of BYU. But I do think this game is a little bit is a little bit closer than people think. But I also <laughs> Excuse me. I promise that's just allergies. <laughs> uh, I, I do think that um, when when it, when it comes down to it in this game, I think BYU wins by just a little bit more than that. I I see them winning by seventeen to twenty one points. Um, they're just they're going to be too physical on the offensive and defensive lines, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Troy to come into an empty stadium. To, to come and 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 be able to, I guess, play their best football at BYU. I I've always thought, personally, this is just my thought as a former player that traveling and and playing on the road isn't as big of a function of um, that. There's there's people in the stands rooting against you as. You're staying in a different hotel. You've been in an airplane. You're using a pillow and laying in a bed that you normally don't lay in. If you're not careful with your routines and those sorts of things, you you can get out of sorts really quick and feel lethargic going into a game. And so that's usually why 
upperclassmen play a little bit better on the road than than young players do is because they're just used to the routine a little bit and they understand how to get the sleep and 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 deal with the distractions the way that you need to. I don't think it's as big a function as the fans. It's just you're out of sorts a little bit. So I've been in this business a long time, and you talk to offensive coordinators. Uh, we want balance. You know, you can just you hear it roll off their tongue, the cliche. If you're moving the ball, whether it's specifically you're having a tremendous amount of success through the air or on the ground, is balance overrated? Um, I don't – so I'll take a little bit different direction on the answer to this. When, the, the reason why you want balance is it means you can run and throw, and, and, and it just makes it easier to call as an offense. Um, I've been in situations where I can run the ball every play, I can pass the ball every play, and pretty much I'm going to look like a hero because I have a great team. And when I when I don't have a great team, I'm I'm usually forced into being one dimensional. Either all I can do is run the ball, or all I can do is pass the ball. That's a much more difficult situation um, to be in. And if I had to choose one, if I was one dimensional and all I could do was one, believe it or not, as a former quarterback, I, I would want to be able to run the football. Um, so the balance that they're talking about. I mean, it's a little bit ambiguous, in, in my opinion, because balance to one team could mean 60-40. Balance to another team could be 40-60% on that balance. And so, uh, you know, I, I, used to, I used to think that I wanted my team to be 50-50 overall, but that, that that would be hidden a little bit in the fact that at the end of games, we were able to run the ball to, to, to kind of run out the clock. And so it was really that we were – 60% pass, 40% run, and then we were winning ball games at the end, and so we were running out the clock. We were we were padding running stats to make us look 50-50. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, it, it might it might be a little bit overrated because everybody has a different definition on on what balance means. So what is what does balance mean to them, right? So, Riley, you and I were talking about uh, high school football quarterbacks this week, and it seems like you it's kind of something you've been on for the last couple of years, but I think you see the trend kind of intensifying a little bit here, that the quarterback play, we've seen offensive linemen, defensive linemen, kickers, linebackers, on down the line get recruited here, but we haven't seen a lot of quarterbacks. But you feel like the quarterback play is improving, so I guess – why is the quarterback play improving? Why do you think we're about to see more guys get recruited, and what has to happen for that to to take place? Well, first of all, you know, to to be a dual threat quarterback, you don't have to be a four four guy. You don't have to be unbelievably talented. You, you want to be fast. You want to be one of the faster guys. You want to be. You, you need to be in the four six range to be able to be a dual threat. And I've seen quarterbacks all over the state of Utah that are able to throw and uh, run the ball. What I'm, what I'm waiting for, and this is why I'm rooting for guys like Zach Wilson. I'm, I'm rooting for guys like Cam Cooper at Washington State, and I was um, just, I, I, I've been trying to get. What I really want to see in the state of Utah is I want to see a quarterback break through to the next level. You know, Boone Abbott, who's at Hawaii. I want. 
I want somebody to break through to the next level and really light it up because I think that there's more quarterbacks worth recruiting in the state of Utah that are Division One quarterbacks than what are currently being offered. And that doesn't mean that they're not getting offered to the Snow Colleges, they're not getting offered to the to, to Weber State and the Southern Utah, but I think there's some big-time quarterbacks in the state, and I want those guys to do well. I want Zach Wilson to do well, Cam Cooper, Boone Abbott, these guys to do really well on the next level so it'll open up the doors for future quarterbacks. Because, I mean, all you have to do is turn on a, a Friday night game and there's quarterbacks running for 200 and throwing for 200. There's quarterbacks throwing for 400 yards and six touchdowns. There's a quarterback over here that's being really solid for his team. And, yeah, he only threw for 214 yards, but he was 14 for 15 for his team. And I just think I just think the quarterback play continues to get better in the state of Utah. And I, I really want him to break through on the next level so that people not just come in here for what I call the meat and potatoes, which is, you know, offensive, defensive linemen, tight ends, and fullbacks and linebackers. I want him to come in for some of these wide receivers, for some of these, for some of these quarterbacks, they're really good because I, I, I think that they can succeed on the next level. A lot of talk about the Pac-12 getting back together and starting uh, as a player when you were playing. How much time did you need from the time you started practice or training to be game ready? Well, it's a little different than when I was playing because I remember the first year I was at Utah State. We had 17 days of two-a-days in a row, right? I mean, it was a, it was a grind. I mean, 17 days of two-a-days is, is dinosaur-like now. They, they look at us like, what in the world were you trying to do to people? But it gave us an opportunity to get a lot of reps in, to know what the plays were. Yeah, we were a little banged up. We were a little nicked up at the end of two-a-days. But to me, to me, I think – I think you probably need three weeks of at least one-a-days with meetings, right, um, to be in, in, in good enough game shape. No one's going to be in true game shape till third or fourth game into their season. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't mean to say this in the, in the wrong way, but I, I feel like players are lifting and working out and running all the time. I actually feel like I, I actually feel, and I've come full circle on this because I used to think it was so important to be in shape and do those things. But I actually feel like um, conditioning and being in shape, in air quotes, is more about mental toughness than it is about physical toughness. All of these teams by game three, game four, are in great game shape. There, there's not a problem with game shape. But the teams that got in shape earlier seem to have a mentality. They seem to have a thought process that says, hey, nobody's worked harder than us. I'm a little bit tired here in the fourth quarter, but there's no way that guy's not more tired than me on the other side of the ball because we worked our trash off all season. And I think it just gives a mental edge to teams. So, yeah, I think, I mean, they're talking about four weeks, sure. Three weeks, sure. I honestly think you could go two weeks and you could get it done. But but right now we live in a CYA world, right? You gotta you gotta cover your assets, and and um, there's a lot of different things going on as far as health and the injury and all that kind of stuff. And nobody wants to look bad. So to me, they're probably going to err on the side of going a little bit longer than shorter. 
So in the NFL, we saw just a whole series of ACL injuries. There are some other injuries, too, and I think some of them can just be explained that there's injuries every week in the NFL, especially the contact injuries with the way people get hit and fall on each other and all that. But there were some odd injuries out in space that didn't seem normal. Do you, do you think they missed the preseason games on some level and you know playing a couple series in one game and then a quarter and then a half? Does that really matter, or was this just bizarro bad luck? And, and I wonder how it translates to these colleges as they restart as well. Well, I feel like it's a little bit of bizarro bad luck, but here's, here's where I think college game is a little bit different than the pro game. There's, there's a lot more time on your own in the offseason. Yeah, they have OTAs. Yeah, they have some things, but there's a lot of time where you're working out on your own. And if, if some of these professionals who are making a lot of money, um, you know, they're, they're, they're living through COVID. You know, maybe maybe they just want to – if they don't have the mindset to make sure that they're being a pro, you know, it, it could lead to, to lack of working out. Now, here I am, you know, way out of shape talking about somebody like Joey Bosa, you know, hitting a knee injury and saying he might be out of shape. But I, I, I feel like there's more, there's more of that. There's more room for error in the program than there is in college game. In college, it's like you show up, you go to the weight room every day, it's on the board, you've got to kick it out. You've got to be, you've got to do what's asked of you or else there's penalties. There's penalties of, you know, running extra. There's penalties of not being included on, you know, the travel team, those different things. So sometimes I think it's that, but I, I, I probably lean towards a bizarro world type thing. Um, I just don't, I just don't know that, you know, I mean, most of the time when you see a knee injury and there's nobody around them, it's pretty serious, right? It's, it's the knee injury. The knee injuries that I worry about are the guys that are avoiding hitting people in the head and they're, they're taking people's knees out. I feel like, and, and this is just me, this is just my opinion, but I watch the NFL and I watch college football and man, I would be covering up my knees now. It, it's, it's definitely changed since we had the concussion panic a few years ago. Like everybody's taking knees out, and I just, I just look at it and go, "Ooh, that this is a tough game." Because because those knees, I mean, that's their weapons. A lot of these guys, that's their weapon, right? But it's interesting. I I, I wonder, you know, for a while there in the NFL, every, it seemed like every single field was that astroturf, right? And everybody moved away from it because there were some injuries and there was problems with blown out knees and ankles. And I feel like it's creeping up again. So I'm wondering about the quality of all this field turf that's going on. And if we have to move back to natural grass type stuff to, to, to get rid of some of these injuries, because these guys are more powerful, they're bigger, stronger, faster than they've ever been. How can you cover up and protect your knees, though, in the actual game? Well, like, I mean, it's tough, but what I'm saying is, like, I might wear a knee brace on my left knee that could be exposed when I'm throwing the ball as a quarterback, right? Just, I'm not injured, but I might wear one for the extra protection, right? I might, I mean, it is hard. That's what, that's what I'm saying, but how do you do that as a wide receiver? I don't know. Maybe you catch the ball over the middle, you get down quicker, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe there's guys that are playing in the NFL right now that are thinking to themselves, like, hey, for me to extend my career, I'm going to get as many yards as I can, and then I'm going to get down without taking a big hit. You know, I, I the knee—it's hard. 
with the knees. It is. And the, I don't think, I don't think that guys are so worried about the helmet to helmet contact as like, I, I think most of these defensive backs would go for the big shot by going helmet to shoulder or taking their shoulder and going shoulder to shoulder and taking advantage of the situation. But there's just too many calls that are ambiguous now. Like, you know, you could have a really, really good hit from from your shoulder to their shoulder, and you can still get flagged, and they can still call it targeting. And there's a chance you're going to be out, and you're going to get fined. So they're like, well, screw that. I'm, I'm going from belt buckle and lower to hit, and I'm just going to make a big hit. And you know what? If a knee is collateral damage, I mean, I'm just playing by the rules. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm not trying to hurt people, but I got to get people down. So it's 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 a tough situation. I think I I I don't know the statistics. My guess would be that knee and ankle injuries are up since the concussion panic of what 2015, 2014. So one uh, one pro football quarterbacking question for you. Is Russell Wilson the best quarterback in the NFL right now? Do the Chiefs or the Packers have the best quarterback? Are you surprised how well Cam Newton is playing right away in New England? Um, it's fun for me to see Cam Newton play really well. He is still he is he still struggles to throw the ball. It's really really hard for me to watch him throw the football. It looks painful to me, but I like the fact that he's in the the Patriots system. Where he can where he can have some short throws and kind of take advantage of the offense there, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Cam does through the through the length of the season because he's got to be able to throw the ball downfield a little bit. Um, but to me, right now, Russell Wilson uh, for a few years has been the most underrated quarterback in the NFL, and I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. The touch that he has on the deep ball. Um, the ability that he has to make plays with his feet and his arm, and he's just so cool, calm, and collected. I, I just don't know that there's anybody as good as him right now. He's really fun to watch, um, and as good as he is on the deep ball, he's not forcing those throws. I mean, he he takes what the defense gives him, and when they give him a deep ball, he's money. And I, you know, as an offensive coordinator, when I was when I was coaching. I really felt like there was going to be between three and five legitimate shots downfield in a game. I felt like if, if we got three to five um, legitimate throws downfield and we completed two or three of those, that it was going to be a big game for us. It's hard to complete a high percentage of deep passes, and it feels like every time I see him throw the ball deep, it's complete. And, it, and it's really, really just amazing to watch. He's really, really fun to watch. Well, Riley, you know, RSL has been struggling to get the full three points at home. Uh, you know, you worried about them taking advantage of the three at home and to get into the postseason? <laughs> we're, all, we're all hoping that RSL does very well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think they need to do against the Galaxy? <laughs> I think that I'm a football analyst and that, um, that it's a beautiful game. Two thirds of the game. world, they call it football, Riley. <laughs> I know, I know. It's the beautiful game, you know. When they're out on the pitch tonight, I'm excited to watch. If I ever find out that you took a contract to be a mental coach for a soccer team, 
any soccer team anywhere on the planet, man, am I going to have some it things to say to RSL. Roscoe Tanner? It would be RSL. <laughs> that would be the place that I would want to be. Anywhere, anywhere on the planet if I find that out. All right, Riley, we appreciate it as always. You're the man. All right, guys. Riley Jensen, College Football Insider, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 7 at the Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom. DJ and PK. PK, we had some NBA playoffs last night, and the Lakers, they keep winning. Now, they're 10-3 in the postseason, so let's not run them down too much. But there is a vulnerability. There is a way to beat them. They have been beaten three times. And it happened again last night. The, the role guys pretty much all came up empty together. Yeah. So That's do you, what I've been saying. Yeah. That. So do you think that can happen three more times? Because it doesn't matter if they have two bad games per series. If they win the other four, it's like, no, yeah, no, you're no. Right, right, but, you know, they're the champs, so who cares? You know, you right. just got to find a way to win four yeah. of the seven. So do you think, well, because here's the deal, the Nuggets, yeah, they're down 2-1, but they, they were down 2-0 in this series, they're down 3-1 in the others. You know, they're not going to flinch. You're going to have to beat them. And they may well beat them. But the Nuggets aren't going to flinch and go away, as we saw last night. I think there's a couple of things here, is that you need those contributions from those role players, and that's what I had said in recent games, excepting last night, that the role players for the Lakers, particularly Rajon Rondo, when he came back, he wasn't there the whole time, that he had been a major addition. Obviously, he's a veteran big-time veteran, got all sorts of experience at the highest level, so this nothing that's going to happen is going to phase him. He's not a good shooter. If he was a good shooter, he would have been an elite player, but that's what separates him is that he's not a good perimeter shooter. But if he plays well, puts the ball in the basket, he's going to probably do the other stuff well because that's just who he is. That's how he's been able to survive and thrive in this league for a number of years. So it's important for those guys to play well. And then the second thing is that I think that clearly – this is the best team that the Lakers have faced in the postseason, which stands to reason because we're down to the final two in the conference. And Mike Malone, listening to him speak after the ball game, he says, we have two superstars. He said that uh, for the la- for going just back to last year, because it's basically what these Nuggets have been. This is in, They're in the second year of their greatness. He said, Jokic, the yoke man, he is yoked. You knew what you were getting from him for most games. Now, back then, we didn't know what we were getting from Jamal. Now we know this guy is a true superstar, and he really is. This has been sort of a coming-out party for Jamal Murray. Uh, good for him. You know, you get to this point, you're working, and it's good, it's good to see 
somebody emerge like this. I mean, we saw it against the Jazz, obviously, with his uh, scoring explosions. He's not scoring as much. It's hard to score as much consistently as he did against the Jazz. But look, just look at his body language. Look at the way he plays. He has never been a more confident player. So it's two things. You need the Laker auxiliary players to play well to win because this is a flawed team for sure. But also, what will be interesting to me, and we'll see this coming up in the in the subsequent games, let's just assume for a second that the Laker auxiliary players do play well. How will it be? Will that guarantee me a win? Because I don't know that anymore. I would have said a week ago, the beginning of this week, I would have said yes. But it's abundantly clear now that these two players, Jokic and Murray, are big big-time players, right? And so they're going to bring it just about every single game. And then that takes the pressure off the other guys. So then you had last night, you had Grant and Morris being able to come up big. And it seems like the Nuggets have several of those guys, those complementary guys from which to choose. It's not going to be the same guys every night. It's not going to be Grant and Morris every night because if it were, they wouldn't be complementary players, but yet that's who they are. So because they're complementary players, they're not capable of being the big-time stars every single game. But the Nuggets, they have two or three other guys that they can count on to maybe come through. I count on maybe is sort of a contradiction, but they've got a deep roster to where not all of the same role players need to be good. You follow what I'm saying? So that's why I think this has the chance to go seven. And if it's going seven, my gosh, the Nuggets have got to feel really good about their spot in the world when they're in game seven because they don't lose game sevens. I got to say it was weird watching that game that Jokic, when Denver when uh, Denver got the lead up to 20, and then the Lakers go on the run, and as the, you know, the league gets down to 15, it's down to 10, it's into single digits, I'm waiting for Jokic to take shots, shoot it, score, and if not stop the run, at least slow it down by you know trading hoops, and maybe you end up trading three for two or whatever. Uh, but at least you're getting something, because they were just having one bad possession after another. He threw a couple horrendous passes, and when they switched and got matched up with a, a smaller guy, and he was matched up with Rondo on some of those switches, Rondo's yeah. putting a forearm into him like old-school, grainy video, physical 1970s basketball that was outlawed decades ago, but it's the playoffs, so they're not calling anything in the fourth quarter, so Rondo's getting away with it, and like, Jokic just stopped. He didn't try, I think he shot over him one time, uh, he didn't try to uh, really, you know, go by him. I I couldn't believe how quickly he became a non-factor. Now Murray hits a couple of big threes, and it doesn't matter, you know. But I wonder if they're going to look video look at video of that with Jokic and and tell him you have get you get this matchup, you got to score or you got to get to the free throw line, one or the other. I mean, there's no way a guard can match up with you and stop you. A six foot guard, that's unbelievable. I'm not sure a seven-foot guard can match up against him well. with his off-balance, fade-away, wrong-foot <laughs> shots that he yeah. puts up. We both <laughs> – I posted something on Twitter about that, and then I was going through because I figured, oh, there's got to be a lot of reaction to that shot. That was ridiculous, and I saw you. That was over Anthony Davis right at the end of the first half. That was yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's ridiculous. you got yeah. Reggie Miller who's commenting, and Reggie Miller was a pure jump shooter who had great form. 
and he's got to be cringing <laughs> at the form, but when it's going softly through the hoop, it's just absolutely amazing. And people have said Nowitzki, and Nowitzki's a good comparison, but I think Jokic is even more bizarre yeah. when he's taking this shot. Yeah, the number of guys who are in that 6'9 to 7'2 range who can shoot it. I mean, not not score and not overpower you inside of five feet, but who can shoot it 15, 20, 25 feet. It's, uh, man, it, you talk about how quickly the game changes, and it's just unbelievable. And, and no one's griping about these shots. You know, Anthony Davis is hitting a game-winning three, and then the next game, Jokic is hitting turnaround fadeaways over him. And uh, I guess it's Nowitzki, and a lot of big guys looked at Nowitzki and are like, he can do it, I can do it. And then they went out, and here we are a few years later after Dirk's retired. And, you know, if that's his legacy, that's a pretty entertaining legacy. Yeah, I don't know that very many people are going to be doing that because you can take the sky hook. If he can do it, I can do it. But nobody's been able to do it. That one is true. No one has done that. The, the other guy's shooting has happened, but that has not happened. Not the way he shoots, though. True. AD does not shoot turnaround fadeaways off one foot. Yeah. That is a uniquely looking like you're thing. falling down. I know. And yet, swish. Impressive. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 the zone.